It's beginning to look a lot. Snow and more snow. Get out the snowshoes and the shovels. Senior Pastor, it's great to see you today. And again, thank you for your kindness and uh, and your generosity towards us. Um, and just uh, it's uh, it, it is a great journey to be with you and to do all that we get to do together. And so, if you have your Bibles, today, I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter twelve. John chapter twelve, and we're continuing in this series called "Tis the Season." And so, the snow is kind of a nice, uh, kind of a nice little setting to. To the whole Christmas season and, and what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. And uh, I want to talk to you for a few minutes, and I'm not taking a special offering, so don't, don't like, but I want to talk to you about generosity, because generosity is not about money. Generosity is about an attitude of the heart. Um, and I want to talk to you just about the power of generosity. And the reason is because we see generosity happening in this season of the year uh, more so than any other season. And, and it's because it's, um, uh, some would say it's the spirit of, of, of Christmas, but really it's more than that, it's the heartbeat of God. One of the, the, the probably the most quoted verses in Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved you, for God so loved us, for God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't just give some, he gave all. You go all the way back to Genesis uh, in, in the first opening chapters, and you see the difference between Cain and Abel. One gave some, the other gave all. The heartbeat of God is always not willing that any should perish. God loved you and I so much that he gave. He didn't just give. I mean, he didn't just love. He gave. Have you ever been around somebody that says, oh, I love you, but they don't do anything? Or, oh, I really love this, this, this situation or whatever, but, or, or, or I'm, I'm sorry that you're having to go through this or go through that or deal, deal with this or deal with that. But they don't do anything. Love, compassion, always acts. There's always action without compassion. If there's not action without compassion, it's just talk. It's just, it's, it's actually a lie. You, you, you can't look at someone who's hurting and in need, and the Bible says go and be warm and well-fed, when you have the ability to help them. No, love does something. Love is a verb. Love is action. And I'm so thankful that the God of the universe who created you and I fearfully and wonderfully in his image and his likeness loved us so much that he gave. That's where the giving behind Christmas all comes from. That because God loved you and I so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could have life here and now and in the sweet by and by. He loved us so much that he gave. That's where that comes from. And so during this time of the year, one of our rationale or reasonings behind gift giving comes from the whole theology of the heart of the father giving to his children in the same way we give to our children. 
been on both sides of that equation. As a kid, been on the side of the equation of getting, of getting Christmas gifts. And, and, and it's pretty blessed to get, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I'll never forget sixth grade uh, for Christmas that year. I got a Schwinn Predator P2000 4130 chromolytic frame and forks with Skyway Tough Wheel 2s, dot Compi brakes. Anybody at all? It had a gooseneck saddle back on it. You know what I'm talking about. No, hate me because you hate me. And California cool pads that were black and white checkerboard and a chrome, just kind of monochromatic theme. Uh, I'll never forget that bicycle for as long as I live. I'll never forget dreaming about that, going by the bike store, going by that, and then all of a sudden, boom, Christmas, it, it was there. Man, that is so amazing to get. But I fast forward a few years later, and as a dad, it is so much more fun to give and to see the look on their faces when they get whatever that is that, that they've been desiring. That's the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is that God understands it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to be the giver than the receiver. And so during this season, we see this heightened because that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about generosity. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir today, so just kind of indulge me. Because you're an incredibly generous church. I mean, you just heard some of the statistics of, of the millions of dollars that you have given. I didn't give that. You gave that. I just simply gave you an opportunity. But the millions of dollars that you have given... The thousands and hundreds of thousands of miles that have been traveled by this church around the corner and around the world to meet people right where they are. The, the, the heartbeat of, of every seat in this room, if you're here today and you weren't here when we raised the money for this building, we ask people, buy a seat for yourself and then buy one for someone else. That seat was provided to you today. Everybody sits in a you're welcome or thank you seat. Because that seat was provided for you, not by me. And, and, and the heavenly bank of heaven didn't write a check for those seats. It was the incredible generosity of the people at Life Church that said, we believe that God wants to do something exceedingly and abundantly above all we could think or ask. That God is a God of generosity. Therefore, we're going to be a people of generosity. And we're going to open our doors that whoever wants to come, whoever, red, yellow, black, and white, polka dot, stripe, we don't care. Whoever you are, whether you're down and out or you're up and over, whether you've got more degrees than you can shake a stick at or you can't hardly spell your own name. We don't care. We know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, declares the Lord, and we want you to have a place to be a part of the family of God. That's the spirit of generosity. That's the spirit of Christmas. But generosity always begins with the attitude of the heart. And I want to ask you a question. Would someone, a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, someone that knows you, would they describe you as generous? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they should. If someone looked at your bank account, would they describe you as generous? If someone looked at your calendar, would they describe you as generous? If someone was around you in day-to-day -day work and what you do, would they describe you as generous? If someone was just, 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 just looking at where you invest your heart and what you talk about, would they describe you as generous? How would they describe you? Generosity is kind of the reason for the season. And so I want to look at a passage in John's Gospel, chapter 12, where John kind of shows us this contrast and comparison 
amongst people who were followers of Jesus. All the people in this setting were followers of Christ. Yet one holds this extreme amount of generosity and the other this extreme amount of stinginess. Now, don't point at anybody today when we start talking about stinginess. That's not very nice, right? We're at church. Amen? Yeah, I'm looking at some of y'all. I know who y'all are, right? So the reality is, is that it kind of puts us together. And this is going, this story kind of smacks of, of a message that I preached two weeks ago to begin this series. But it's two totally different series. It's two totally different uh, scenarios, two totally different settings, two totally different accounts. One that I did two weeks ago, Thanksgiving Day weekend, was that of Luke's gospel. And Luke's talking about a, a religious leader, a kind of an elitist, if you would, uh, a very snobby, uppity kind of, kind of a, a follower of God, not follower of Jesus, that was uh, inviting Jesus to come to his house. This, this uh, uh, a Pharisee invited Jesus to come to his house, and he's trying to figure him out. And this woman, who is a sinner, comes into the house and uninvited, and basically she, she kisses his feet, which a kiss from the host of the home to, to, to the guest of honor would on the cheek would have been a customary greeting in, in first century Jerusalem. Uh, she, she, she washes his feet, which would have been customary in first century Jerusalem, and, but she uses this expensive alabaster uh, perfume in order to wash his feet and, and dries it with her, her, her own hair, and she worships him, and, and they are enraged because again, in first century Jerusalem, the more important that you were, the more affluent that you were, the more influential you were, the smaller the table that you sat at. The more common that you were, probably the more of a sinner that you were, the larger the table that you sat at. Which is interesting that Jesus says that we're to remember him until he comes by how? Communion. The bread and the cup. It's the biggest table ever set. God doesn't deal with exclusivity. He deals with inclusivity. The only thing that separates you and I from God is a thing called sin. And you cannot, and we have tried, oh, has our generation tried, to take sin out of the equation. You can't. You and I are sinners, not in the hands of an angry God, because our, our God doesn't condemn us to hell. It's our sin that condemns us to hell. Read John three seventeen. For God sent not his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. That was never Jesus' plan. That's never that. The condemnation that comes, quote, unquote, from Jesus is some kind of man-made religion to guilt people and to bring people into shame, which God never intended. God came that we could have life and life to the fullest, John 10, 10. Just read the Bible. Quit listening to some of these preachers, and it'll help us all. Amen? I'm just telling you, it's pretty simple. And so we see some similarities, but they're completely different. Because the woman that's in this particular passage is a follower of Jesus. It's Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who were devout, good, Jewish, God-fearing, synagogue-attending Christ followers. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Kind of FYI, don't you like that? Just saying. Mic drop. Okay, now, verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary, which would have been the sister, took a pint of pure nard. That's important. I'll come back to that in a minute. It's an expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it, his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's important. I'll come back to that in a second. Verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. 
verse 5. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I'm going to come back to that statement in a minute, too. It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. I love John's a, one of the disciples, and he's just dropping it straight like it's hot. He just said because he was a thief, as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. He was skimming off the top to what he put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would, should save the perfume for the day of my burial. That goes to the connection to the perfume in verse number 3. But you will have the poor among you always, but you will not always have me. Now let me unpack this just real quick. Because here's what's going on. It's a dinner party in Jesus' honor. And again, we've talked about this. Eating is very spiritual. And I'm not just being that funny, although it is, because I love to eat. That's why I love to eat, because I want to be like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> so that one picture that you saw... Uh, where we've got the ferns. I feel like Zach Galifianakis, right, with the whole fern thing going on with the original building. That, 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 I, that was about 55, 60 pounds ago. So this is not a, an illusion in front of you people. It's a lot of hard work. Anyhow, but I love to eat. And so eating is a spiritual thing, uh, and, and we see this over and over and over again, the whole table, the whole theology of the table. We've talked about that. So they're having this dinner party, and it's in Jesus' honor. And, and, and so what's happening is, is that out of this, this, this dinner party, Lazarus is there, Mary's there, Martha's there. They're all tight, in tight relationship with Jesus. They would have lived uh, most of the time in, in, in first century uh, you know, Israel. They would have lived, families kind of lived communally together. So kind of, they would add on stories and levels and whatever they needed to do, but they lived really tight-knit, close proximity. And, uh, and so, so they're all there having this. And then Mary comes in, and would have been very appropriate, and she takes this, this, this uh, uh, perfume called nard. Now, it would have been a very fragrant perfume. It was a very expensive perfume. The, the, the John lets us know it's close to a year's wage. And she comes in, and she begins to basically anoint or wash his feet. Now, his feet would have already been washed coming in, but this is symbolic of, of Jesus goes back to it in verse number 7, where he's going to talk about the burial. It's a precursor. Uh, if In literary terms, if you're a, liter a literature major, it's a foreshadowing of what's going to come. And as you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus kind of leaks the story all along about who he is. He begins to reveal himself. That's how God works, i.e. the book of Revelation. God is into to revealing himself in layers over and over so that we see even through, through, through time from Genesis all the way through Revelation God is revealing more and more and more of himself and who he is and his very nature and it's the same way that you and I work together in a relationship uh, here on earth we the more we get to know someone the more we reveal of who we are and what we are and what goes on there's this revealing that takes place therefore God we get that because we're made in the image and likeness of God the Father, we begin to reveal more and more and more of who we are. And so there's this, this, this what's happening is, is he's revealing uh, what's going to happen. He's saying, look, I'm not going to have, you're not going to have me always. Now, you've got to understand the disciples are thinking that Jesus came for a revolution. He came to overthrow Rome. They're, they keep thinking that this is some political manifestation that's going to happen Physically in the physical realm, and, and they, they think he's going to establish the kingdom then and there in the first century. 
when Jesus continues to communicate, no, my kingdom's not of this world. It's, it's, it's beyond this. It's, 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 uh, uh, there's a supernatural revolution that will take place before a physical manifestation of that. And so there's this, this uh, revealing, though, that Jesus is going. And so as Mary comes in and she begins to anoint him, this nard would have been something that would have been used for burial. So, number one, it would have been used to, to anoint a body for burial. Secondly, it was very expensive. And so why is she taking an expensive perfume that's used for burial, and why is she using it now? Well, she, well what she doesn't know is that Jesus is only going to be in the grave for three days, so the need for the nard is not going to be as great as it would be for someone else or for everybody else that's going to live there for a lifetime. And, 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 but, but she's so, being in the presence of Jesus, if you can imagine that, being in the, his presence and being around him. It was just this act of worship that she comes and she begins to worship selflessly and she begins to anoint him and she begins to do this. And, and it's, it's a communicating and Jesus is trying to help connect the dots because the people in the room are all followers of Christ. They're the disciples. And then in the context of all this, you see that, that Judas, who we know, look, we, we, we know he's going to betray Jesus. But he's no different than you and I. Jesus loved us when we were yet in our sins. Christ died for us. And he called you and he saved you and he redeemed you and he cleaned you knowing that there would be days you'd turn your back on him. Knowing there would be days that you would reject him. Knowing there would be days you would be embarrassed of him. Knowing there would be days and seasons in your life that you'd walk away from him or from the church only to come back and go, Oh God, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And, and I need you to be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So before we beat up on Judas, Judas, we're a whole lot more like Jesus than what we want to give credit for. But yet Jesus calls him. Why? For it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith, and that not of ourselves. Do you understand that? You and I will never be good enough. We'll never be holy enough. We are jacked up. That's in the King James, all right? I mean, that's like old school. We're messed up, man. And, if, and, that doesn't, and Paul says, just because you're messed up and you're jacked up, should you continue to sin? By no means. No, 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 no. We serve a holy God, and we should pursue the holiness of Jesus, and we should do this. But if we stumble, but if we fall, but if we sin, we have one who's an advocate with the Father, who's forever making intercession for us, going on by our behalf. Therefore, we can boldly go before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace at any point at any time, because God is a gracious and caring and loving God. If God did not want you and I to use grace, he'd have never given it to us. So don't waste grace. Use grace. But Judas begins to pipe up and he begins to, I can't believe we're spending money in the church on something like this. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> Never. Not in church. This is a church meeting. This is proverbial fighting over the carpet. The color of the carpet. What, what, what's it going to look like? And I can't believe we're spending money on that. And I can't believe we're doing this and that. And I can't blah, 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 blah. I'll never forget one time we had, had a particular, there was a, it was a, it was something that was relatively cosmetic, but that needed to be done, and uh, you know, and so uh, here physically here at the church, and 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 somebody got really upset that we spent. Uh, it was a coating, a seal coating on the parking lot, and they viewed it as aesthetic, and and it's just aesthetic, and it's just gonna with the salt in the winter, and you just let it do what it's gonna do. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. Who cares? And it was like I care because I'm trying to attract 
people that are far away from God, and I'm wanting to communicate a value of excellence, and I want to make sure that, that nothing that we do except for the gospel of Jesus Christ offends anyone. And so we're going to do things right in the right way, and we want people not to be embarrassed and have to make excuses. And, it's, and we've got the money that's here and the availability that was here. And this person just got really, it's that kind of mindset. That happens anywhere, everywhere, it happens. But then it begins to happen over things that really are, are important. I can't believe we're giving that kind of money to missions. I can't believe we're doing this and that. I can't, that pastor, he, he, he asked for more money for missions and does this and that and what are we doing and, and, and I can't believe that we're doing whatever it may be to get the gospel out. You understand that salvation is free but getting the news of the gospel out isn't. So... The reality is there's this discourse that's taking place. And you see this comparison contrast that happens. And then Jesus speaks up. And Jesus quills the conversation. And he says, the poor you're going to have with you always, but me you're not. What's he saying? Don't squabble over things that have no eternal significance. If it is eternally insignificant, if it has no eternal significance, who cares? Who cares? Who cares what my hair looks like? Amen. Who cares? <laughs> who cares the color of the carpet? Now, th does that mean it's got to be ugly? No. I, I don't understand this because sometimes, I mean, I grew up in church where it was like rose-colored and mint green. And it was like, who picks these colors? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like if it smelled like formaldehyde, it'd be like a nursing home. It'd just be like, what, who, where, where does this come from? The, the reality is, is, that, is that, you know, it, it, but people fight and they get upset. They get over this and that and this program and that program. And it's like, Jesus, and, and worship wars. Oh, they didn't sing the song the way I wanted it to. It's written in a 4-4 four, four time. They did it in a 3-4 time. I just can't believe this. And da-da-da-da-da. And Nando changes his hair every week. Who cares about the hair? He had a different hairstyle last night than today. He'll probably have a different stylist back there doing it different for tomorrow's service, for the next service. I don't know, but who cares? Who cares? But we get all amped up about this stuff. People leave the church over this. And I can just see Jesus saying, hey, man, time out. It's about me. It's about Jesus. And anything else is peripheral. It's about eternity. And anything else is peripheral. Who cares? Well, bless God, brother, we want to make sure that we've got plenty of money in the bank to do da-da-da-da-da. When did we ever start looking towards money or things that you and I have the ability to produce in order to ensure and to insulate ourselves? Who, who, who does our trust is in? Our trust is in the Lord. You're going to hear me. Hey, you're going to hear me this next month. For the last four years, in a very calculated way, in a very, what I think, spirit-led way, I've been very, very, very much just letting the field kind of lie dormant. Because there are seasons in a church, much like agriculture, there are seasons where uh, you, you, sow, you, you plow the ground, you sow seed, you water seed, uh, you harvest seed. But then there are seasons where in order to allow the ground to regerminate and keep its nutrients, you allow the ground to lie fallow because it needs to rebuild itself. From the time we've gotten into this building and in that season, there was a sense that the Lord really was just kind of leading. And, and 
for me and just saying, look, there's some things that some organizational structural changes we need to make. It's going to take some time. So we began to do that. There's some things we need to do. We, we need to kind of let people have a, have a moment to catch their breath. We've been on quite a journey getting to this place and doing this and that. But, 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 but this past 12 months has been this time of like, nope, now's the time. Now's the deal. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to begin to, to, to those of you that are leading in the church, I'm going to begin to not just, and I'm going to lead the charge. I'm not going to ask you to ever do anything that I'm not willing to do. But, but, but it's going to be to push because we've got a city that needs Jesus. And we've got a city that has issues and problems. And I'm not just talking about Germantown. I'm talking about Milwaukee. And, 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 and there are some things that we are going to do. And we're not going to have all the answers. And there's going to be people who are going to say, well, you should go left, you should go right. I'll I'm going to know is that we're just going to love Jesus. We're just going to present Jesus. We're going to let him open some doors only he can open and shut doors only he can shut. And we're going to move forward. But, but, but the reality is, is it's all about him. Because the time's short. Look around. Right now. I mean, I travel pretty extensively internationally on, on some of the mission stuff and things. That I do. And last week, I was in, in Bangkok, Thailand. I was in Asia uh, when uh, I wasn't there for this. But Howard Schultz was in town, with, and they opened the largest Starbucks store, this new reserve store uh, in, in China last week. I was there. It was on the, all the news outlets and all that kind of a deal. Uh, and then was also in Sri Lanka, which is a small island nation off, off, the, off the coast of India, and looking at some programs and some things that are happening there. Deshaun Wickerow who pastors the People's Church. I was ministering there last weekend. Uh, he's going to be with us in a few weeks. And, and um, there's just some amazing things that are happening around the world. But, but there's so much unrest going on in the world. I mean, this whole deal, whether you, wherever you fall on the spectrum, it doesn't matter politically. The whole deal with, with the Arab nation and with Jerusalem and with the Jewish nation, that clash is not new. But it's not going away. And it's going to continue to heighten. And even when we reach out to the State Department and we make sure that we, we register with the embassy when we travel and that kind of deal, especially in some of these places that are, are highly Muslim uh, uh, areas and hotbeds that we go into, we need to make sure that they know where we are. We want to know where the embassy is. We want to make sure because you just don't ever know. And, um, and so one of the things that, that we were reported to is make sure that whatever you're traveling, you're going to do, do it before the first of the year. Because after the first of the year, things are going to heat up uh, as an American traveling abroad, especially because of what's hap happening with this new, uh, new um, capital being in Jerusalem and moving from Tel Aviv. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can feel the tension between the Arabs and the Jews. It's a real deal, but it's not a new problem. Jesus is coming back. There, I'm telling you, I've heard this my whole life, but I'm telling you, look at what is happening. I don't have time to unpack all of this. And so only what's done for Christ will last. And that's what Jesus is saying here is, Judas, shut up. You don't get it. You're not going to have me always. And what she's doing is a foreshadowing of my death, burial, and resurrection that will save your soul and the sins of humanity. She gets it. Because it's never about money. Judas wants to make it about dollars and cents. It's never about dollars and cents. Do you understand that? When a missionary comes in and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart to give to that missionary, it's not about dollars and cents. It's about the attitude of the heart. 
See, this, 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 this thing illustrates to us that, first of all, generosity is a spirit of selflessness. That generous, to be generous is to be selfless. That's the attitude. It's not about me. I don't have to exist. I love what Job says. God gives and God takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We love when God fills our hands, don't we? I love, man, when God opens up and he blesses and he blesses and he blesses. But when he takes away, that's really difficult. And typically what I do when God does that is I act like a three-year-old and I close my hands and I go, it's mine. Right? You've been in service before where there's a missionary or there's a need or there's something that's going on and, or, you see, or you see something and you, you rationally shut it down. You're rationally going, it's mine. When spirit of generosity says, no, it's y'all yours, God. I'm yours. And sometimes people go, yeah, well, that's easy for you because you're a ministry, you're a pastor. Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. When I got saved and I gave my life to Christ, I realized my life is not my own. I lost my rights at salvation. Paul says that I'm to be dead to this flesh and I'm to be alive into Christ. That's how I live the life of an overcomer. Does it mean I need to be stupid? No, God didn't expect me to check my brains at the door. He gave, me, he gave you brains and intelligence, and he gave you the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct you for a reason. But the reality is, is that it's to be selfless. Mary's actions are selfless. This whole dinner is about Jesus. It's selfless. The whole anointing is about Jesus. It's selfless. Even what Jesus came to do wasn't about himself. It was selfless. Generosity is selfless. Generosity is not about me getting credit. Generosity is not about me being noted. Generosity is not about any of that stuff. It's about a selflessness. And I'm just going to tell you, the more selflessless life you live through the spirit of generosity, the greater and the bigger life you will live. This isn't about a dollar amount. I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with the dollar amount. It has to do with the attitude of your heart. But the more close-fisted and narrow-minded and pulled back, and it's all about dollars and cents, and you just feel your spirit closing up, the smaller the life that you live. And it's funny to me, it's actually sad, how many people, as they get older, they get smaller in their relationships and smaller in their capacities and smaller in their doing. When the Bible speaks completely the opposite, as we grow in Christ and Christ grows in us, as we live this life, it should get bigger. It should be more blossoming. It should be more full. See, the world tells you that gray hair is wrong, so change it. But the Bible says that gray hair, it, 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 it's, it's a crown of wisdom. It, it, it's something to, to, to attain for. The world tells you that wrinkles are something to eradicate. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. It's with the age. It's with the elders. It's with those who have seasoned in life. Those are the people to aspire to. That's what to look to. The world says, no, the more young you can look and the more fit you can look and the more you can nip and tuck and do this and that and blah, 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 the better off you are. That it's all that the, that, 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 that the race is to the young and to the swift. But the Bible says the race is not to the young, it's not to the swift, it's to those who trust in the Lord. And so, so the reality is, is that when we follow Jesus, it's not about me, it's about a selflessness. We, we see that, that gener generosity is about humility, that a generous spirit is a humble spirit. 
This is what we see with Mary. Mary humbly goes, her posture, her attitude, her everything. Even when she is, is criticized by Judas, what does she do? She doesn't even try to defend herself. She just continues to do what she knows to do. And you see that contrasted against um, Judas, who has this haughty attitude, who thinks he knows every, more than everybody else. You ever been around people like that in church? Well, bless God, I wouldn't do it that way. I've had a couple people down through the years that have said to me, not here, never here, right? Uh, that have said, well, if I was a pastor, I'm like, man, go plant a church. <laughs> you know, go on with your bad self. You, 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 man, you, yeah. Tell you what, here's a hundred bucks. Let me be the first one to sow seed into that. And you just go do what God's called you to do. Amen. Why? Because it's not. It's, 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 it's not about me. It's about humility. Anytime we begin to throw in pride and self-seeking ambition and we get haughty, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again, how would people describe you? Generous? Stingy? It's not about me. And the longer that you serve Christ, the harder it is to do this. New Christians don't have a problem with humility because they don't know nothing. And I mean that, I grammatically phrase that correctly. They don't know nothing. I mean, they, they don't. They got to go to the table of contents every time. I have, now where was this at? Now where's that at? Now what's this? Now what's that? You know, uh, I, I've never forget. I had a guy several years ago, and I'm, I'm out shaking hands in the foyer, and he goes, hell of a mass, Father, hell of a mass, as I was leaving. <laughs> he didn't know. He just thought it was a good service. That's all he knew. I did that. Just God bless you, my son, and go on. I mean, I, what are you going to do, right? My, 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 my point is, is about, it's, it's, it's humility. It's, it's, no, it's just, we just, he don't know. It's just what he does. But, 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 but when we think we know something, you do what I call double hitching. You fat people, you got to pull them up on both sides. You just kind of pull your pants up and act like you, no, that's when we lose it. And this is what Mary understood. It's never going to be about her. It's never going to be about her agenda. It's never going to be about her ideology. It's always going to be about Jesus. And that's what Judas could never get. Is he kept thinking, I got to have and I got to take care of and I got to do this and rationalize this. And before you know it, he's skimming and he's greedy and then he betrays Christ. Generosity is, 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 operates out of, out of humility. And it, it, lastly, generosity is, is a spirit of gratefulness. To have a generous spirit is to have a grateful spirit. Mary's just grateful that Jesus is there. And she realizes that that season and that time will not always be. And Jesus recognizes that. And Judas wants to treat it like it's going to be here forever. It's one thing I have learned in almost 46 years of living. Is that, you, is that what Solomon says is that time and chance happens to us all. That we're all given opportunities, and it's up to us to seize those opportunities. You have people in your life and opportunities in your life. You're at a stage in your family. You're at a stage in your life. You're at a stage in your finances. You're at a stage in your business. You're at a stage in your academic pursuits, whatever it may be. And there are good sides and bad sides. There's upsides and downsides. Begin to take advantage of whatever those good sides are 
and work your way through the downside of it, knowing that it's not always going to be that way. There's seasons. God works in seasons. And it's having this attitude of, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to have a job. Grateful that I've got clothes on my back. Grateful that I've got food in my stomach. Grateful for my family. Grateful for the, for the, for the, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead that, that the Bible says that, that dwells in me. I, I'm grateful for, for peace that passes understanding. I'm grateful for joy. I'm grateful that Jesus is in my heart. I'm grateful that I don't have to fear death or hell or the grave. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for friendships. I'm grateful for, 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 for the opportunities that God's given. I'm, I'm grateful. What is it that you're grateful for? Again, how would someone describe you? Generous? Kind? Full of life? Grateful? Or stingy and small and reduced? The essence of everything basically is, is that in this particular season of life, we have opportunities. Look at the opportunities around you. For some of you, it's going to be to go to that angel tree and grab a gift and do something. And you may do something out of your own need, not out of your excess and your abundance. Some of you, as you're ending the year, this has been a great year for you economically and financially, and you may go, you know what? There was a, a project that Pastor talked about, you know, months ago, and I really want to give some money and earmark some money to an organization and, and want to do something. I want to give money to a missionary, or I want to support this or support that. You, again, you call the church and email us, whatever. See Ryan. We'll make any of that stuff happen. Uh, we want to get as much money to missionaries as we possibly can. You may sit down and look at even those of you that are regular life church attenders and you're part of greater, which is generosity. Tithe is about obedience. That's the Lord's. Greater is about generosity. And just say, hey man, where am I at? And you know what? I want to make sure I get, I want to fulfill. It's not a pledge. Nobody's going to call you or ask you to give this amount of money. But just, I want to do this. Or maybe you've met that and you want to do some more. Maybe it has nothing to do with money at all. Maybe you run so fast, so furious that you just need to volunteer your time and go somewhere. Maybe it's a soup kitchen, homeless shelter. Maybe you just need to smell humanity for a while. Get a real perspective on your first world situation and problems. Maybe it's a neighbor. You know that they've lost a job. And you may live in a very affluent neighborhood, but you know that things are tough. Someone's died or passed away. And it may mean they're private and they'd never ask for, but it may mean that you do something just to help them during the season. Maybe it's a meal that you just bring over unannounced. Maybe it's you in some way that would, it would be you know they'd never take anything from you but you make sure that they get resources to them anonymously so that there's money for Christmas because kids don't understand economics ups and downs I don't know 
Maybe there's an elderly person. You know, a couple weeks ago we were here in church and there was a, an individual. They were walking through the foyer. And uh, you could just see that the clothing was tattered. Shoes were way more than worn out. And they really weren't dressed appropriately for the weather that was outside. And one of you took it upon yourself to see that need, to inquire, and to make sure that that person had shoes, clothes, and adequate needs were met. That's generosity. Never shows up. Government doesn't give you a tax write-off for that. No one knows it, but you do. As you walk to your car today, you may see a single parent who's in a beater of a car that that thing is barely able to crank. And as you walk out and you push button start your car and let it warm up before you turn the heated seats on, there's an old-fashioned thing called conviction. Not because of what you have, but because you have the ability to help somebody else. See, there's nothing wrong with having things. There's something wrong with things have you. And the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, I want you to take care of that need. And this isn't the church's problem. Don't call the church office and tell us what we need to do. God speaks to you. I don't know what it is. It may be as simple as just going to a nursing home or assisted living center during this time of the year and finding out who has no family, who has someone that no one visits. And there may be a reason why nobody visits that person. And you just share the love of Jesus. I don't know. What I do know is that generosity is an action. It's always selfless. It's always out of humility and comes from the spirit of gratefulness.